0: everybody, and welcome to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. In today's episode, my co-host is a friend of the network, a writer, a comedian, and a commentator on all things pop culture. It is none other than Guy Branham. And on top of that, before we go, I am going to talk about... You know, I'm going to say a surprisingly related conversation alongside the one that I'm about to have with Guy about the new Amazon show Reacher and the uh, delightful homoeroticism that comes with that programming. And so I'm excited to get into that. So stick around for it. But yes, with me today is a man who has written for shows like The Mindy Project and Chelsea Lately. His book is called... I mean, this is an all-timer title. My Life as a Goddess, a memoir through unpopular culture. He will be starring in Billy Eichner's forthcoming movie, Bros. And that's right, Guy Branham. Is there anything else that the people need to know about you before we get started? Do they leave any crucial details behind?
1: No, those are all wonderful things to say about me. Thank you.
0: <laughs> you're, you're very welcome. Um, and you have brought delicious characters from one of my honest-to-God favorite movies today. Mm-hmm. Um, we are talking about David Lynch's Dune from 1984. Yes. What is the most streamlined summary of Dune you could give?
1: Okay, this is impossible because <laughs> every impossible? every version of Dune has, like, nine different forms of exposition that are going on, and <laughs> yeah. also, it still doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, the most powerful resource... In the universe is a spice that can only be grown on one planet. Mm -hmm. And um, the emperor attempts to make a political play by handing the planet over from uh, an evil fat gay guy um, (laughs) to an upright duke. And the fat gay guy is so good at being a fat gay guy. He mm. kills the duke and takes over the planet. Uh, and then um, the duke's uh, wife and his son have to go march off into the desert to figure out whether the duke's son is the messiah or not. Spoiler: <laughs> He is the messiah. Also, the strength of the base of the pillar.
0: <laughs> that's that's perfect. That is perfect. And what are the? There are two characters you have mentioned as being important in this conversation? And who are we discussing today?
1: Well, I think, you know, for the idea of feeling seen, Mm -hmm. it's such an interesting conversation because for so many people, people who look like them just weren't in movies for such a long time. But I feel like when you are a queer person, it is also about perspective, but I'm also a really fat person. So it impacts, so, you know, that aspect of, like, Really fat people have been in media for all of time, but mm-hmm. in a, a very sort of like narrow category of roles. So uh, the the characters that I presented to you were the Vladimir, uh, the the Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the Reverend Mother Helen Gaius Mohaim.
0: Wow! Um, <laughs> wow! Incredible. Like, and this is, did you watch this movie when it came out and you were like, I'm drawn to this? Or was this a later in life watch?
1: Like, I saw it when it came out. I was excited for it. I mean, the thing is, is like, when you were uh, a little boy in the early 80s, there was such a model for, like... They only named Dune because they were trying to make their Star Wars and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they were like selling action figures and they were hyping people up as though it were Star Wars. And then you watch it's David. It's a goddamn David Lynch movie (laughs) um, based on, you know, uh, a fucked up and complex set of books that aren't trying to tell a magical story of good's triumph over evil. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, uh, like, practicalities triumph over other practicalities. Like, <laughs> yeah.
0: it's, it's
1: realpolitik. And so it was one of those things that I went and saw as a child, and I was like, what the fuck is this? This is amazing. I forget it's whether
0: amazing.
1: I, whether I saw it, because I would have been eight. I forget whether I saw it in the theater or... Um, on home video, but, like, but was just, like... What an experience. I thought it was amazing when I saw it. Yep. Uh, and the thing is, is, like, when you are a little boy and you're seeing so many little boy adventures... Yeah. There is the weird, and, you know, especially a little white boy, there is the temptation to think that, like, you're the man. Like, yeah. you're, you're this person going on this adventure, and I think I always had a distance from that that I didn't quite understand. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that captivated me about that movie was, like, the Reverend Mother Helen Gaius mohim
0: Uh-huh. This is the Reverend Mother Gaius Helen Mohim. She's going to observe you.
1: Like, you know, it really was the Bene Gesserits and and all of that world and the complexity and the culture. And it was over time that I my understanding of and my relationship to the Baron Harkonnen evolves. The Duke will die before these eyes and he'll know, he'll know that it is
0: I, then Vladimir Harkonnen, who encompasses his doom. (laughs) Okay, so that was, I was going to ask what the sort of sequence of events was, if there was a simultaneous recognition among both or if you sort of realized in time links between one and sort of then the other.
1: Like, it's... Yeah, it's it's really hard because the capacity to identify with a villain mm-hmm. um who is particularly queer villains is yeah. I think something older and more sophisticated. Like mm-hmm. one of the most amazing pieces of culture on the planet is do you know who Cola skull is? No. Oh like,
0: Cola Skull, oh the comic. Yes. The incredible, so, incredible, the, oh the, yes, they absolutely. They are
1: like this angelically voiced comic. Um, in New York. And mm-hmm. they they posted a video of them at three singing from The Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. And it starts off with them singing as Ariel in Part of Your World. And it's like so sweet and so beautiful. I mean, it's like a, ch- a child's angelic voice. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they start singing as Ursula. And <laughs> the, the child just comes alive. Like they are just... <laughs> So excited. And it's, you know, it's one of those fascinating things that I think happens in all of us where you connect, but you're scared of the mm-hmm. way that you connect and you're scared of what it means. But I do think that the power of, I forget the actor's name, but the, the performance of the actor who plays the Baron Harkonnen.
0: I believe that is Kenneth McMillan.
1: Yes. Um, it, like, it is so... Thick and robust, yes, and magnificent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That from the first time I saw it, I knew it had power. I mean, the thing is, is like, you know, um, in in one of the Barons' scenes, his nephew Fade the Ratha, mm-hmm. like, walk, It's Sting walking out of like steam, wearing a metal <laughs> speedo and <laughs> like a rigid metal speedo, and he's just and,
0: glistening. His body yes. is covered in sweat.
1: And when We've crushed these people enough. I'll send you fade. Lovely fate. And like the Baron salivates over him mm-hmm. and like God knows Sting's body had a power over me even at eight but <laughs> but sort of like that moment of like open indulgence and lascivious interest mm-hmm, was mm-hmm. like fascinating at least and over time i began to understand the wonderful power inherent in that like there are so many similarities between fat villains and queer villains because they do mm-hmm. both represent yeah. this um like unabashedly coming from the unnatural mm-hmm. people who are not participating in the normal, ordered, like, heteronormative, like, um, like uh, progress of a hero. They are mm-hmm. somebody who is unabashedly representing that which is wrong. And mm-hmm. so, like, they're the only people who get to enjoy it or, yeah. or, or have joy. Like, your only if your only options are being pathetic yeah. or, un- like, or unholy, mm-hmm. like... I'd kind of rather go with unholy, yeah. y- you know, <laughs> Completely. And, there's, and there's also the really interesting way. I mean, one of the things that we're going to have to talk about is the way that the current set of Dune movies by Denis Villeneuve. Yeah. Um, like attempt to manage this in the worst possible way, which is casting a straight actor and then putting a prosthesis upon him yeah um so that he is not the horrible creature that is being represented it was it was so weird when i started like making noise and it was like in a half joking way about mm-hmm. the fact that they had cast a non-gay non-fat actor to play this, yeah. like this most delicious of roles and also like put in that I was gonna have to watch a video about the hours of prosthesis he went through to look like me right, like the, yeah. the product is just like me like they are trying to get what's disgusting about my neck and really put a finger on it and there were all of these people who were Dune stands who, like, it was a bunch of dudes being like, you could not have read the books. And it's like, fuck you, motherfucker. I read three or four books too far. <laughs> yeah. um, it it was like, you know, he's not gay. He's a pedophile. And it's like, well, that's not going to come up in these movies. I, like, th- it's not going to be a thing. But but just the notion that both his sexual desire and physical body were so mm-hmm. abject. Yeah. Like, w- ha ha ha, this guy is saying that that's good representation. It's like, uh, no, I'm not saying it's good representation. I'm just saying it's the only fun thing we have.
0: Yes! Yeah.
1: So, like, please let me have some of this fun thing. You know, it's like, as a gay guy, sure, I'd love to steal Ursula, but no. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like ursula belongs to the ladies
0: right right yeah yeah and it you know for me the new dune was vibes it, it was beautiful uh-huh. and it was vibes but yep. like you can find a fandom for anything on twitter and so it was fun in the lead up to that being like hey where are my lynch dune stands at and people yeah. being like me i've been here the whole time and it like the thing i missed the most about it was the maximalism of the 84 oh. movie okay and there is something inherently queer about that kind of of maximalism you can't tell me otherwise
1: I went on I went in on a whole journey about it I was uh, a friend of mine who was a very respected uh cinematographer director of photography mm. he, like his comment on Dune was it is too in good taste like yes! the, the Villeneuve like and he and another guy were talking and they were comparing it's so it so like, classy and it's it's like an ad for like the best hotel in Utah um <laughs> and I, I started coming to this point of like it, like, what is, is there necessary space for camp in sci-fi? Lynch's Dune has these elements of broad camp. Yes. Like, yes. Um, you know, so much in the barren, but also it was so much fun to show the box scene to a friend of mine who had never seen it before yeah. who's was a filmmaker. So the, the the box scene, for those of you who aren't familiar, it's like the Reverend Mother Helen Gaius Mahayim's one big scene. She shows up, <laughs> to determine whether um, Paul Atreides um, might be the messiah or not. Put your right hand in the box. What's in the box? Pain. So she has him put his hands in a box, um, that is filled with uh, progressive and infinite pain. And she holds a <laughs> yes. gom jabbar, which is a poisoned knitting... Like, like it's either a poisoned knitting ne- needle or in, in the Lynch film, it is a poisoned thimble. Like, <laughs> it, is there anything... It is a thimble! Yes. Like, more magnificent than having these deadly women come with sort of, like, um, homicidal, like, sewing equipment. <laughs> and, you know, she holds it to his neck. But it's a scene... Where, like, it is not a funny scene, but every line is a setup or a punchline. Like, it is <laughs> just uh, uh, like. I hold at your neck the bar. This one kills only animals. Are you suggesting a Duke's son is an animal? Let us say, I
0: suggest you may be human.
1: Are you suggesting I might be an animal? No, <laughs> I am suggesting the possibility that you might be human. Um, <laughs> Many men have tried. They tried and and failed. They They tried tried and and died. died. (laughs) Like, um, it is just hits, hits, hits. And (laughs) it's like a little ridiculous and outsized. And then you see, like, the scene with Charlotte Rampling in the Villeneuve um, Dune film is one of the best scenes that's there. Absolutely. but But it also just doesn't swing for the fences of the bathhouse the <laughs> yeah. way that the original does. Um, and What a know,
0: shame! What a loss that is!
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing is, but we, we have the Lynch dude. We'll exactly. always have it. Um, yeah, and so, like, at, at the same time as sort of, like, deeply identifying with this, like, villain who is sucking mm-hmm. the marrow out of life on his yes. own terms, mm-hmm. um, there was also just sort of this fleet of um hyper competent scheming women <laughs> who were achieving things through all of the terms that don't make sense in sci-fi action. Yes. Yes. Like, you know, that that the Dune films that the Dune films embrace that their wizards are these ladies. And and I also think that Lynch gave us a version of them, you know, uh, other versions, the sci-fi series or mm-hmm. Villeneuve have really embraced some of the things like veiling or like the mm-hmm. very long heavy hair yeah. and um like lynch makes them so magnificently beautiful in a 1940s kind of structured way <laughs> or, or no Fabulous. They, they, actually, they actually kind of look like a car like <laughs> they, they always kind of look like a car from the early 50s <laughs> um and sort of like you know like that glamour the possibility of having scheming glamour really appealed to me
0: scheming glamour the the dynasty of it all yes
1: yes Lady Jessica is like a femme fatale who starts out already turned, you know yeah like yeah, the one thing I did really like about the new dune films was that rebecca what's her name just never stops crying um,
0: <laughs> yeah, Rebecca Ferguson the, is yes. she is she's crying or doing the voice
1: yes no she's she's outsized well and and like the voice i I talk about the voice in my in my book, the voice was just one of the most captivating ideas to me mm-hmm. that want, that like their magic their power is just being able to read you so well that they can <laughs> say something in exactly the way that you can't resist it
0: yeah you.
1: she's using the voice uh, like i was just captivated and i was like how do i be that lady
0: <laughs> the Bene Gesserit are the to me they're the only thing in the new movie that comes even close to as you said swinging for the fences of the bathhouse yeah. in that way that like the new dune makes me feel like you can't actually impeach 84 dune on the grounds you thought you could because it's like <laughs> why are you why are why are you critiquing a drag show like you yes. would critique a film like this is you're you're implying the improper rubric of assessment to this movie because what it is doing is somehow perfect in its madness
1: yes well and also it like it is a drag show by other means in a way like (laughs) it's sort of like the best thing about the herbert novels is the way that he plays jazz with all of human culture like he he's always just sort of like pulling Like bits and pieces from various aspects of existing human culture and recombining them into these new and interesting ideas, all premised on the idea that all human culture is just a path to fascism, one way Mm -hmm. or another. Um, And like uh, Lynch's film is so rich with sort of like just architecture and art and design that is Mm -hmm. in in every way it's exactly what a drag show should be too much (laughs) culture on parade but none of it is the culture you think that that you expect to be on parade in a drag show
0: (laughs) and i i it's it's so it's, it's such an interesting thing to make like these these women like these these wizards that are spinning a thread, like weaving a thread through time. It sort of takes so many negative stereotypes about women that they're like scheming in the background, that they're just like playing men for puppets. It like takes this notion of, like you said, a femme fatale that is already turned. It makes these women almost like, femme fatale have reached their final form and people have, like, bowed before them as a result of that and have just, like, accepted that they have this ability to command time by manipulating men over millennia, over generations. And that is their, like, actually celebrated power in addition to being their feared power. which is a fascinating subversion.
1: Yes, I mean, and the thing is, is, like, I don't know that much about Herbert. And everybody wants to bring up, like, oh, he was bad to his gay son. I'm sure he was a terrible person in a lot of ways. (laughs) Um, But just taking the art on its own, saying, what if, what if the wizards are cool not because what they do is gigantic, but mm-hmm. because it is so small you don't see it?
0: Right, L- like, right.
1: Like, it really is wonderful. And it, like, there's so much in Dune, the novels, that is upsetting to masculinity.
0: Right, like, yeah.
1: That I think it's really interesting and appealing to me because I was, you know... I was a strange creature. I was mm-hmm. very, very physically large, mm-hmm. very, very strong. Mm-hmm. And everyone in my little farm town thought that that, that that was a big deal. And I never understood why, because I was like, this is not a power or a way of life that I have interest in. Mm-hmm. I would love to understand more about these people who are spinning a very narrow thread <laughs> over the course of 10,000 <laughs> years. And thereby managing all of history like <laughs> being able to beat up one person is dumb mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. being able to control planets um, without anyone realizing you're doing it <laughs> that's awesome
0: and looking like a car from the 1950s at the same time mm-hmm. there's something you know to talk about being like to talk about being a, a person of larger scale and yeah. and it's a thing that you get in the nineteen eighty four Dune, and I think that you get really with with the Baron and and with the the presentation of the the Bene Gesserit women in that film, and some in the new one, but but in that film, th- visibility is sort of the point of them. Like it, they're not, there's not a shame in being seen. There's not a shame in being bigger than life. Like the Baron of yeah. Conan is a He's a bad man like he's he wants to like enslave the people of arrakis and yes. take over their natural resource
1: i want you to squeeze and
0: squeeze and squeeze give me spice go show no mercy it <laughs> but the idea of the visibility on parade and i feel like for for folks queer identifying who are like either looking through something that's coded or something that is overtly queer there. I know for me that that is on the occasions that I have felt like I could identify with a character. It feels liberating to be like, oh, but there's an example of it because it's not something that needs to be between the lines. It can be bigger than life. And I find that very exciting.
1: Well, there's something so I mean, the thing is, is if you're not used to being represented, it's possible that you being represented is going to need to brush up against some of your um, internalized ideas about your own invisibility. Mm-hmm. There is a really good review of the L word from like 2002 by oh, a woman wow. named um, uh, Alessandra D'Alessio or something like that. She's okay. a novelist. Um, uh, I, again, I quoted in my book, but she talks about how lesbians being represented you brace, lesbians watching it brace at it because it is taking away some of your wildness Uh and uh some of your, like, it's not capturing everything and it's not getting, like, the ineffable. But there's also just the way that, like, any of us, regardless of your identity, regardless of the package that you're moving through society in, we are all coded by the same society. Mm -hmm. When they show Geedy Prime in Mm -hmm. Lynch's Dune, that's the planet that the Baron is in charge of, Like, everyone there looks like at least a third of their genes came directly from uh, the Baron. They have his red hair and his, like, portly white face. And everyone has, like, a little cap over their heart so that if he wants to, he can pull the, uh, like, the cork out of their system and have them bleed to death in front of him. (laughs) And it's so upsetting and unsettling. Um, But also, it's his whole world that is built for him and Mm -hmm. where he matters the most. So beautiful, my Baron. Your skin, love to me. Your diseases, lovingly cared for for all eternity. And there's something so wonderful about getting to imagine that world where the weight and constraints of The world that doesn't have a place like of there being a world that has a place for you Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. even if it does have to be um, unholy or disgusting Mm -hmm. and it it really was um, you know a journey in my life of going from bristling at that to Mm -hmm. really enjoying and taking delight in like his hedonistic amoral planet Mm -hmm. like that played by his rules
0: All right, it's time now for a quick break, but we've got lots more coming up with Guy Branum and David Lynch's Dune. So stay with us.
1: Did your neighbor back into your car? Bring that case to Judge Judy. Think the mailman might be the real father? Give that one to Judge Mathis. But... Does your mom want you to flush her ashes down the toilet at Disney World when she passes away? Now that's my jurisdiction. Welcome to the court of Judge John Hodgman, where the people are
0: real, the disputes are real, and the stakes are often unusual. If I got arrested for dumping your ashes in the Jungle Cruise, it would be an honor.
1: I don't wanna be part of
0: somebody getting a super yacht. I don't know at what point you wanna go into this, but we've had a worm bin before. Available free right now at MaximumFun.org. Judge John Hodgman,
1: the court of last resort when your wife won't stop pretending to be a cat and knocking the clean laundry over.
0: Hey, kid, your dad tell you about the time he broke Stephen
1: Dorff's nose at the Kids' Choice Awards? In Dead Pilot Society, scripts that were developed by studios and networks but were never produced are given the table
0: reads they deserve.
1: When I was a kid, I had to spend my Christmas break filming a PSA about angel dust. So, yeah, being a kid sucks sometimes.
0: Presented by Andrew
1: Reich and Ben Blacker. Dead Pilot Society, twice a month on Maximum Fun. Org.
0: You know, the show you like, that hobo with the scarf who lives in a magic dumpster. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Doctor Who?
0: Yeah! Welcome back to Feeling Seen. I'm your host, Jordan Cruciola, here with Guy Branham talking about... <laughs> a movie after my own heart, David Lynch's wild 1984 adaptation of Dune a conversation that I feel like I have with people so often about like talking about queerness and horror queerness and genre is that that notion of like when you were saying if it's a if it's a split between being pathetic and unholy I'd rather be unholy and then mm-hmm. there's the notion of like you know I must I identify with the monster but at the same time if I identify with the monster I'm identifying with power mm-hmm. I'm identifying with the thing that sort of has its way with the world around it the world that rejected it and so instead of like spurning the monster I choose to rejoice in the power of that monstrosity
1: yeah. It, it like it can be sometimes hard for me to identify with stuff that is connecting with just the primal because I am such a thinky person. Right. And um like the Baron is so primal but through a lens of scheming and organization, you know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> the through line to the Baron and and uh the Reverend Mother is definitely scheming. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a through line to you? Do you, Like you said, do you or Is this? Do you still perhaps, you know, like in your town where like the idea of being able to beat up one person growing up, being able to be powerful on the football field is yeah. considered has its own currency. But you're like, I would rather control worlds over the course of 10,000 years and have nobody know about it. Are you still seeking to control worlds through yes. 10,000 years of scheming?
1: Yeah. And I don't think I'm as good at it as other people are. I think some <laughs> people come to it very, very naturally. hmm. But I just love and worship it. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, I'm, I am somebody who intellectualizes everything. Sure. Um, you know, I have so frequently tried to use the intellectual as a, a bridge to get to the anti-intellectual, um, <laughs> and I don't know if that's effective. But it's just who I am. Like mm-hmm. I'm not really going to feel um, represented or excited about something that is wholesale brutal. Okay, I have a question for you. Have you you seen The Power of the Dog?
0: Yes, I have. Yes, I have.
1: Because I think that's such an interesting movie.
0: What little lady made these? (laughs) Actually, I did sir.
1: I can't be either of those characters Mm. because I am not thin enough to be coldly rational. Right. And I am not... (laughs) You know, broad of shoulder enough and narrow of hips enough Mm -hmm. to be to pass for good old cowboy. Like at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, my only option is to be a slavering baron, try like who understands that he only gets power if he controls the spice. Like at the end of the day, (laughs) I want him to control the spice Mm because and because he's gonna be get better at getting it, you know, Mm -hmm. like if it weren't for. Like, Paul being, like, the Messiah. Like, <laughs> yeah. the the Baron needs power bad enough that he's gonna find a way to get it. Mm-hmm. And I, I I respect that, you know? And, like, I understand yes. that, like, my association to the Bene Gesserit can at best be by analogy. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Cody Smith-McPhee could put on a cute little dress... And uh, pass capably for a Bene Gesserit, yeah. which I, I never yes. can. And yeah. that is why I, like, my love for an investment in the Baron Harkonnen can never go mm-hmm. away. Because given the options before me, like, that's the only bitch I can be that gives me some some options,
0: right? Yeah, and I that's and I and I I wanted to ask you about it in the context of like what a thing I saw coming around like renewed with the second with the, the the new Dune coming out and then like bringing up like how the the Baron Harkonnen is is this like terrible pillar of fat phobia mm-hmm. and this a thing that a thing that is so tricky about this conversation is that, like, well, but what, like you said, like, what if my only option is to leverage these certain things about myself to have the level of authority or self-determination or, okay, world-eating power? Yeah. What if, like, these are the only tools afforded to me as a fat gay man in this world, and what if I just have to make the most of the tools that I have? Like, it's such a... Like, how does the fat phobia conversation around that character sit with you?
1: Okay, so... The thing I find most fascinating about it
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um, is the anxiety around a fully integrated identity Mm -hmm. for that character Mm -hmm. that essentially, in a movie... Like, where Timmy Chalamet <laughs> is is playing our, our hero. Like, everyone else is the best of actors. And, of course, they couldn't get a fat actor to mm-hmm. play the Baron Harkonnen because they had to get the best of actors. And there are no right. fat, the best of actors. Because of course. That's why we need to actors- make
0: Colin Farrell the penguin yes. in a Batman
1: movie. Because fat actors can't find their way up the ladder of actoring mm-hmm. um, unless they're, you know... Um, paul walker hauser or whatever his name is who is mm-hmm. a, a very fine actor but who has to play pathetic in i Tanya and has to play pathetic in the richard jewell movie and has mm-hmm. to play different flavors of fat pathetic for us mm-hmm. um and you know and also good old boys straight we can have fat guys who are good old boys straight yeah i, I mean the thing is is we can't be like halted from exploring this character by the fat phobia inherent in it. If we've been able to figure out Shylocks and Othellos for mm-hmm. 500 years, mm-hmm. wh- who um, managed to, you know, like, I'm sorry, is there a, a role written for a woman before 1970 that's good and human? Like, <laughs> yeah. um, and yet our greatest actresses managed to take these roles and turn them into something mm-hmm. like, you know, far elevated from the character and the the lines that they had. But what is fascinating to me about the Baron Harkonnen is the need to divorce the fatness mm-hmm. from the character, to make like mm-hmm. everyone else in Dune gets to be a character embodied by a human being. Mm-hmm. And the Baron Harkonnen has to be half amazing actor, half mm-hmm. puppet. Yeah. Because um, that cannot be physically integrated into the body of the person who is performing it, lest we think that that person is. Um, e- like, we need that to be something abject. We need. Because we can't imagine having to identify with them as a full person and not a cartoon or a puppet. And mm-hmm. I so associate it with the way that. When we represent fat people in media, mm-hmm. we cut off their heads. There's that standard shot in, like, a news story about the obesity epidemic where you just see people from their shoulders down to their hips and they're mm-hmm. rolling uh, globs of fat. Again, right. a thing I talk about in my book. I'm sorry I repeat myself. That's um, okay. But, but I just think that exploring what would be so dangerous mm-hmm. about having to look upon a baron who was an actual fat gay guy, Mm -hmm. and think, like, our fear is having to see him as human. Mm -hmm. Like, and what would come of if we had to see this character as human? If someone as good as Stellan Skarsgård had to try to act with this character as human, what might we see there that we don't want to see? And I think that that's what we have been able to find in Othello, or in Shylock, or... In Kate from Taming of the Shrew, or any of the other representations of women that are limited on, on the page.
0: I you know, you mentioned like when you when you, you grow up like we at the very outset, it was like when you when you exist as somebody who has to sort of graft yourself onto places that you might not necessarily fit in order to find you because of the dearth of of examples. I as somebody who has, you know, gone on to have such a varied and prolific creative career, I wondered how and this is one of my this is one of the things I hope to explore most in these kinds of conversations is the fact that there's a to me a kind of creative genius that is fostered through having to practice from such an early age that kind of storytelling in your mind, and I wondered how that process in like the intersections of the ways in which you have not found yourself on screen, if that how that has affected your work as a as a as a creator yourself.
1: Well, it's very interesting because in the, you know for the first ten years of my writing career, maybe seven, I pretty much like a lot of it was writing for women Mm -hmm. um, and having to be able to put my mind and my identity in their heads. And that was very natural for me because I was used to identifying with women in media. They Mm -hmm. were the closest people I had access to, you know, who made sense to me and approached the world as I did. Mm -hmm. Um, The You know, and I think it has made me somebody like who is nimble in their capability of writing comedy from different perspectives and trying to put myself into the mind and heart of different characters. Mm -hmm. The the bad part of it is I am still very bad about seeing myself in stories. Like Mm -hmm. I am still very bad in writing for myself because what was really hard in Hollywood is that, for maybe the first five or seven years that I was going out and talking to people about pitching TV shows, they would be like, what's your story? We want to mm. know your story. Right. But the thing is, is once I told them my story, they didn't want that. Um, <laughs> they wanted some straight guy story, you yeah. know? And at the end of the day, they wanted me to write a show for ladies. And I sort of internalized that and was like, that is how I will make my business. And then as the world got better Mm -hmm. um, through the work of, you know, many people, but me included. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the the thing about stand-up, the wonderful thing about stand-up is that, for me, the kind of stand-up that I like is unalterably about who you are. So Mm -hmm. in stand-up, I was always representing myself and my truth in all of its forms as much as possible, and I loved Mm -hmm. that. But when it came to scripted stuff, it was like, at best, I could be a friend. At best, mm-hmm. I am near the story. And when people actually started to... Last year, I wrote um, a pilot for NBC that they ended up not making, but it was about me and my family. Mm-hmm. And it was a, a really interesting challenge to have to say, you know, um, how does this story center on on someone like me? Mm-hmm. How do, How do I occupy the space at the center? And I think... There's also that really interesting thing that comes with queerness or, or or being from a marginalized group of like understanding the strength, beauty and liberty of being at the periphery, of being yeah. one of the people who's commenting, but not really knowing how to see the story as yours. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, like I have been in two romantic comedies. I play the sassy best friend in both of them, Sure, you know, and like I'm used to that and I'm good with that. But also having to ask yourself, what's your story, mm-hmm. is is hard when you've only ever been able to see yourself as the scheming witch or mm-hmm. um, the violent, salivating villain.
0: I think that that gets to something um, that I was listening to a, a another uh, podcast that you had done where you sort of address the room a bit because there's an audience. And you're like, the thing that straight people don't realize for gay people is that no one showed us how to do this. Mm-hmm i feel like gen z has a bit Mm -hmm. more of those options and avenues of like models and 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 ways of being like okay if i put myself into here like i can see how this path works but for for a fat gay man growing up in a rural area to see like the baron harkonnen and to see the reverend mother and be like listen nobody gave me a better fucking route than this so like this is what i'm doing
1: absolutely and the thing is is What's interesting is so many of the things that queer kids now do have to look to Mm -hmm. are a little heteronormative and a little dishonest. And, you know, I'm sure they are invaluable to them. Yeah. Um, But there was something really interesting about having to make your way blind, just Mm -hmm. feeling feeling for the next thing that felt relevant and sort Mm -hmm. of being, you know, not not until decades later being like, oh, that's why I loved Mrs. Robinson from The Graduate that much. (laughs) Or like, oh, that's why I loved the Baron Harkonnen. It's just sort of, Mm -hmm. it's like, when you have to find yourself in things that aren't made for you, Mm -hmm. like, that's a really powerful and good skill set. And it's why um, I really chafe at people, like, erasing my marginalization doesn't help you at all. Like it doesn't do <laughs> yeah. anything to advance your journey, and and like so much of what my journey has been is mm-hmm. people saying this. Why don't you identify with this? Why mm-hmm. like why don't you like this? And it's like no. And, and there, are, there are things where I really should have grown up and known that I had, a, known that I had enough distance to be able to appreciate them. But mm-hmm. like fucking westerns, I still kind of don't like a western. Like. <laughs> there are no no women are going to talk to each other in most westerns you know <laughs> no.
0: And, no you have to make it straight up like the 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 movie with brit marling and Haley steinfeld where yes. they're just like three women in a house together with no one else until the men come to hurt them
1: yes no and like there's so much of that stuff or just like on a plane in the last couple of years i started watching braveheart mm. it's there's 25 goddamn minutes before a woman talks. <laughs> like, um, you know, it's it's insane. And asking me to find my identity within those spaces right. is, like, deeply oppressive and terrible. Um, <laughs> this is and, violence. And, and it, it is violence because it's asking people, it's saying, all right, go through life with no tools that are for you. Mm-hmm. Here, here are a bunch of tools that aren't for you. Use them. <laughs> And it's like, well, if I'm going to have to use tools that aren't for me, I'm going to yeah. find ones that fit better.
0: Yeah. Here, Here's a bunch of materials to wash a car. Go build a house with that. Right. Exactly. And it's,
1: you know, like, I think that conversations about cultural appropriation are important and need to be had. But I also think as applied to queer people need to be looked at differently because Mm -hmm. looking for things outside of ourselves has always been necessary because we don't have things. And the thing is, is that doesn't mean that queer people shouldn't be respectful of that distance and understand Mm -hmm. that there are things that they won't understand. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like, at the end of the day, like, I see far more reflections of myself in the color purple than I do, I don't know, Cinderella Man. Yeah. Or (laughs) any other any movie where like spielberg or ron howard are talking about a a guy just trying to make his way
0: (laughs) well i will i will stop keep stretching time because i just want to keep asking you questions because i can't do that anymore it, what would what should we send people off f- uh, in in the direction of that your of your work that you would like to tell them about today, guy? What, oh. what what should we say?
1: Um, if you're in Los Angeles, I um am doing my first hour since before the pandemic on april 29th. So please come to that. I would really appreciate it. My book, My Life as a Goddess," uh, goes over a lot of the issues that are here. And then also uh, this September, a movie that I'm in, uh, actually, can we talk about that a little bit? um uh, just sure. briefly. Uh, I'm in this movie, Bros. It is uh, a rom-com written by and starring Billy Eichner, but uh, Billy cast me as his friend in the movie, and, like, it is a role no one else would have given to me. It is, like, a fat gay guy who has a sex life and is funny and isn't sad about anything (laughs) and is having a good time. And it's, like, it was just so lovely that it happened because, like, so frequently when I get cast in things mm-hmm. it is as a represent a representation of sort of the pathetic. Yeah. And that like Billy didn't see that his story would be heard by but rather would be helped by mm-hmm. having me as somebody who's happily single and has like a, a sex life and you know all of those things was really it was very sweet and really you know made me happy to have him as a friend and a colleague yeah. um but it you know it in the context of these stories, it's so nice to see people moving a little bit outside of that
0: i I am so glad to know that you can celebrate the baron and that you can through through a friend you you can be just the man that you are and the man yeah. that you live as. In, yes. in in roles coming to you, and so I'm really I'm really glad to have the combination of those notes in this conversation. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about it today, guy. This has been as intellectually rigorous, honestly, as I was looking forward to it being. Jordan,
1: it was really fun. Let's also be on, uh, honest with the audience. I was 20 minutes late for no good reason, and I apologize <laughs> profusely for that. Um, but also, I would like to say that both I and my character in Bros, Henry given the option, would try to take over a planet full of spice. Like <laughs> un-
0: you would be all the fat gay that you could be and leverage
1: uh, that to the maximum any terms like by any means necessary to get that spice.
0: <laughs> Here's to the ten thousand year quiet reign of Guy Branham. <laughs> Let's hear it, everybody. Take a moment to yourselves and give a round of applause for Guy Branum and that, you know, the most at-once entertaining and rigorous conversation about the Baron Harkonnen. I'm going to say that you've heard at least this week, if not this year, if not in many years. Uh, I'm really looking forward to checking out Bros later this year, seeing, by Guy's own description, him as we haven't really quite had an opportunity to see him before in a film. And if you want to check him out in the meantime, Check out My Life as a Goddess, because why wouldn't you want a book called My Life as a Goddess in your own life? And you know what? New Dune, Villeneuve's Dune, it's on HBO Max. We know that. But get out there and seek out the maximalist nine-layer dessert that is David Lynch's Dune. I think there's a lot to offer from that movie. Uh, it gets kicked around a lot. It's a bit of a cinematic punching bag, and I, I endeavor to change that insofar as I can my sphere of influence can make a difference. Before we go today, I do have one quick thing I promise to address with you, and that is the matter of amazon's new Amazon Prime's new show Reacher, which is an adaptation of um the book series by Lee Child, the Jack Reacher novels. Previously, we have seen two films adapted from the child novels that starred Tom Cruise. I love those movies. The first one, legitimately a fucking tremendous action movie. It, it the attitude of it, the sense of humor of it. I understand fans that in the text, Jack Reacher is a huge man. He's a huge man. Tom Cruise famously petite. But that man is a movie star on the order of of basically no one else we have left in American cinema today. And while he may be small, he fills the screen with his presence. So I don't want to hear any haterade coming to the way, coming by way of, of Tom Cruise's Jack Reacher. But the series is what we're here to discuss today. And that series stars Alan Richson. A mountain of a man, a gorgeous mountain of a man in the titular role as the army veteran who has as a list of accolades as long as your leg, who is famous within the service for being an army investigator who has solved innumerable crimes. I don't think he's ever not had a successful conviction. He's, he's like Sherlock Holmes if Sherlock Holmes was Zeus, and the incredible action writer, commenter, thinker, vice victus of the Action for Everyone podcast, to me, described Alan Richson perfectly in his s- dimensions, which is, he called him fuck huge. And I think that is the scientific term for the the scope of Alan Richson. And this is a beautiful man. And he does he does a great job with the Reacher sense of humor, with the deadpan, with the dryness of the delivery. This show is fun it's compelling it's a mystery it's crime it's action it's seeing a fuck huge man beat anyone nearly to death that he wants to just like on command he's an unbeatable i think in the book his hands are being his hands are described as being the size of like raw chickens (laughs) like that is that is the kind of mass you can expect from a reacher and and he embodies it but a fun little thing has come along with the reacher conversation and that is on action twitter there has been this like delightful apparently irrepressible thirst for Alan Richson among some of my favorite action dudes who are talking about the medium and the art form on the internet all the time. Uh, And I just love to see a man whose beauty and whose whose entire energy so resonates with these ostensibly, perhaps traditionally, uh, heterosexual individuals that they can't but catastrophically thirst for alan richson in the you know in this context safe confines of the internet the internet are they're not it's not always a safe set of confines but for people who want to openly thirst um about hot celebrities it's a pretty it's a pretty inviting landscape and it is you know there's that there's that sense of as a queer woman You know, there's that thing with queer teen girls where, you know, there's the pretty girl in school or the, you know, the hot girl you you have a crush on. But it's just, like, they're just really cool, you know? I just want to hang out with them, you know? I just, like, I just really, like, it would be cool to be them, you know? I just think they're really awesome, which is all, like coded developing sexuality for i want to kiss touch absorb be in physical proximity to this person and i have a lot of feelings around them but i can just all i can only describe them as just like how aspirational and cool they are that is like heavy notes of that are imbuing the conversation of dudes talking about how much they love the reacher show And I would just like to say yes. I would like to say we celebrate you. I would like to say you are safe. I would like to say please embrace the gorgeous homoeroticism that defines action cinema. There is almost nothing more gay than a straight man. And I would just like to see this landscape of action genre loving dudes settle in to the gigantic arms of their favorite action heroes and just and just curl up like a warm blanket get comfortable and settle into the fact that this thirst is great this thirst is beautiful i invite you to do it more and i invite us all to to keep creating a safe terrain for catastrophic twitter thirsting you know drive over me with a car alan richson like send me into credit card debt alan richson uh swaddle me in your big muscles alan richson i i want to see that for all the men who feel the truth of it in their hearts. So thank you, Reacher, for drawing this kind of um drawing a small liberation movement out of your out of your performance and and in your show. And so that is my one quick thing before we go today. And that's our show. You can follow us on Twitter at Scene Pod, or you can join our Facebook group where you can thirst about Alan Richardson together at www.facebook.com slash groups slash feeling scene pod. You can also send us an email at feelingseen@maximumfun.org. If you want to follow me, I am Dwar Crew on Twitter, where I will um, relate to you gents out there about how gorgeous uh, Alan Richson is. And our theme music is by Andrew Epen. This show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun.